You are listening to Mountain Bike Radio. Welcome to the last aid station here on Mountain Bike Radio. My name is Mark. I'm going to be your host for another full episode of the last aid station today. Lots of races to report on, some news to report on up front. Uh, But before we go anywhere, if you're joining us for the first time, welcome aboard. If you're coming back again, thank you very much. And thank you very much for those of you who have sent me emails or gotten in touch through Facebook or email or whatever. It, it really is important to me that I find out that information. I often am not aware of everything that's going on, if it's especially if it's a regional type event or a regional racer that's really making an impact or a regional promoter who is really trying to set his event apart from others until you guys let me know. And then when I often when I look that stuff up, you guys are very good judges of who's doing what and who's doing the right things and the things that's really improving our sport. Often when I end up looking that stuff up, I, you're right. I need to follow this. I need to report on this event or follow this racer and see what they're doing and where they're going and perhaps even have them on and talk to them. It's really, really helpful. And again, you can get in touch with me through the email marketmountainbikeradio.com. You can get in touch with Ben, um, who runs Mountain Bike Radio as a whole. Um, it's kind of his thing. And he, um, keeps all of us uh, delinquents in check at Mountain Bike Radio. Um, so all the podcasts, um, you can get in touch with him at ben at mountainbikeradio.com. And also make sure you check out, if you're over there at Mountain Bike Radio, make sure you check out some of the other podcasts. Um, I hope you are, and I, and I f- probably think you are. I doubt you're just coming to listen to my show. It's nice if you are, but there's plenty of information out there, whether it be on the entertaining side to the to the social side to the important side to the nutritional side to the training side there's stuff out there for you no matter what you're looking to get out of it there's something important um, that you can gain from it Um, there's stuff on there um, ben's recently been having um, quite a few shows on training and especially nutrition tons of stuff about there there's mental training stuff on there of course the just riding along crew is on there all the time they have nearly a weekly show Always interesting. They always pick up some information that um, helps you along and helps you maybe make some decisions on what types of bikes or wheels to use. And as well as they are just an entertaining uh, group there. Um, those guys are really entertaining, e- uh, easy to listen to, and you always pick up something. Um, on the more social side of things, um, the there's... Some great shows on there. Um, the Big Livers podcast has got great shows on beer and bikes, mostly beer, and uh, some really cool stuff. Um, there's a couple. There's a show on there um, about cycling in Lapland, which is more of the it's the off road community um, in Sweden, and those guys are very very entertaining. But it's really cool to find out that there are people that 
barely that maybe don't even speak uh, English as their primary language that are just as excited about uh, mountain bike racing and fat bikes and off-road racing as everybody else is. And um, I'm glad to I'm glad to have those guys uh, part of the mountain bike radio family. So anyhow, thank you very much for joining us. Um, glad to have you along. A couple things uh, to report on up front. We'll talk about a little bit of the news that is going on around the country and around the world. Um, this weekend coming up, which is the last weekend in July, coming up here in, uh, well, from the day I'm recording it, like six days from now, um, the Big Bear Grizzly and the Wilderness 101 are both going to take place this weekend. They both kind of separate the season from the front half to the back half. They're both right right there in the middle. This weekend kind of feels like the peak of the racing season. From here on out, uh, you start to see a little bit less mountain bike racing. Um, kind of the season starts to not, not wind down. There's still plenty, plenty of racing out there. Um, but we're kind of in the middle. Everyone's really at their level of fitness. You see the top pros really riding at, uh, at our peak. And anyhow, the NUE series, which is the Kenda National Ultra Endurance Series, peaks this weekend. Two races on the same weekend on opposite ends of the country. So obviously, there's there's no chance for both, someone to do both events. I mean, it would take... Uh, I can't imagine the com- complexity of trying to even think about attempting that. But the Big Bear Grizzly, which is a new event to the National Ultra Endurance Series, takes place, takes place in Big Bear, California. Very different from the one that's going to take place on the other end. The Big Bear Grizzly, of course, is going to have some plush California single track, some probably some very beautiful weather, beautiful forest, green conditions, um, probably some long to the ski area, probably some long, uh, gradual, uh, gravel road climbs with some beautiful single track attached to them. Looking forward to see who does really well there. Um, very different than a lot of the races that occur on the East Coast, which is kind of where the NUE series started. Speaking of on the East Coast, this weekend is also the Wilderness 101, one of the original NUE events, one of the original three or four, I think, is what they started with, taking place in Rothrock State uh, Park in central Pennsylvania, just outside of State College, on a lot of the same terrain and trails that they raced on for the Transylvania Epic. So um, if you don't ride that stuff, you would call those trails nasty, rooty, rocky, technical, um, and technical again. Really, really, really difficult stuff. A lot of guys come out of that saying they have the legs going in, but their whole body hurts the next day. Um, very, very technical. Very, very uh, difficult, um, some really steep stuff. There's some hike of bikes on the downhills. A lot of guys walk on some of the significant, uh, rocky downhills too that I can think of off the top of my head that are just absolutely nasty. So very two different, very different races. And we'll see how this all works out. The next show I have here on the last aid station, we're going to get into the nitty gritty of who's leading those NUE standings. By then, everything's shaken out. A lot of guys will already have those minimum of four and who needs to improve on them. Or perhaps who already has four wins. And really, that's the peak of it, um, with the only exception being a, a tiebreaker uh, for two guys having two having fours or two Competitors, I'm not saying guys, women having four wins, then they would have to go 
and race for the tiebreaker at the Fool's Gold, which is the uh, final race of the series. Um, but those, those races are going on on the Kenda National Ultra Endurance Series. The other big race that's going on this weekend, and it occurs down here in the southeast, it's a traditional race. It sells out almost immediately. The off-road assault on Mount Mitchell is this weekend. Um, it's an event going well into, I'm sure it's well over uh, 12 years old, maybe like around 15 years old now. The course has rarely changed. Um, about a, two years ago or three years ago, they did change the course slightly on the far end of the course just due to some logging issues. But the course has primarily uh, remained the same. Um, the only difference now being um, there's been a little bit of trail moved out and um, some, a little bit of extra climbing added in. But for the most part, the, the course is has remained unchanged. Um, 65 miles, 11,000 feet of climbing. Um, everything from gravel to switchbacky single track, um, including the Kitsuma Climb, Star Gap, Heartbreak Ridge, uh, Curtis Creek, lots of technical downhills and uphills as well as some uh, the Curtis Creek climb which is I don't know at least an hour of gravel road climbing um, up to the Blue Ridge Parkway so looking forward to seeing who does well there it's always a who's who of southeastern racing and you generally have a few pros showing up Jeremiah Bishop holds the course record at just over four and a half hours it's always interesting to see who shows up both in on the open men and the open women, as well as who shows up for the categories like single speed and uh, masters and things like that. But that race is this coming up this weekend. Um, the day before that race, um, they have a shorter version called the Jordan Mountain Challenge. And then they have a combined thing. If you race both of them, you get like a, like an omnium kind of situation. So that's going to be interesting too. So those are the three big ones that I know off the top of my head that are going on. I'm sure there are other ones regionally. And um, I hope you guys are getting out and enjoying those races that are going on. Continuing on with a little bit of news, um, the manga. Um, continues to cause a buzz across the interwebs. Um, I don't know what to tell you about this, folks. Um, there is tons of discussion out there on the message boards and the forums and um, Facebook and everything that's out there uh, regarding the manga. And some of those discussions regard whether it's, this is actually going to happen. Um, the manga, if you aren't aware, is going to be a bike packing event running across South Africa. It would be raced as a duo team, self-supported, you know, uh, nonstop. You race as much or sleep as much or as little as you like. Um, the thing that makes this race controversial is it's got a $1 million prize purse. Um, personally, I do not think that the uh, prize purse should actually be anything controversial. If there are sponsors willing to sponsor an event um, out there, I mean, that's fine. I don't think it's going to impact the race as a whole. Um, I mean, I do think it's going to replace – I take that back. It's going to impact the race, but I don't think it's going to impact the sport as a whole. I don't think you're going to see uh, the Tour Divide become the next Tour de France. If you're looking for, if you're looking for bike packing to remain underground, I think it is always going to be the case. 
I don't think you're going to see sponsors flooding the sport. I think, you know, the sponsors that are out there for bikepacking pretty much exist um, as the the uh, manufacturers that make bikepacking-specific bikes or bikes that are very suitable for bikepacking, salsa and things like that. But anyhow, I don't think it's really going to impact the sport. Now, the other discussion is um, whether... Um, is this race actually going to happen? And is that prize purse legitimate? I don't know. I mean, you know, that's a, that's a lot of money to throw at a sport that really doesn't have a, a fan base other than those who compete in it. Um, I think it's going to bring, if that is actually legitimate, I think it's going to bring, bring people into the sport that aren't necessarily bike packers. I think you're going to see if it's a legitimate thing where you're going to have a $1 million uh, win, uh, winning prize purse, um, I think you're going to see a lot of people showing up that are uh, World Cup pros and and maybe even some um, guys that are used to sleep deprivation. Maybe you're uh, race across America kind of guys or whatever. Um, it's also a $10,000 entry fee, which certainly isn't cheap, um, but it'll be interesting. We here at the Last Day Station and on Mountain Bike Radio are going to continue to investigate this. We're going to ha- get some people on who will know the ins and outs of the race, how this is happening, what the sponsors, how this is all going to occur. And we promise to ask those hard questions um, when we can get somebody on who can answer them. And so uh, stay tuned to the Mountain Bike Radio and Last Station. We'll keep it posted when any of that stuff goes down. Um, but again, if you haven't investigated the manga, it's kind of an interesting thing. It's certainly a big conversation on the Internet. And, uh, we'll, again, we'll be following it here at Mountain Bike Radio. Um, the other big event, uh, big thing that just went to press as we were recording this is USA Cycling has announced the sites of their national championships for 2015. And the marathon national championships for both 2015 and 2016, uh, the marathon mountain bike national championships will be held in Wildwood Park, just west of Augusta, Georgia. Now, interestingly, this is the first time the Marathon Mountain Bike National Championships have occurred uh, east of the Mississippi. So it'll be very interesting to see if the geography of where the, where the, where the race occurs um, will bring a different type of racer. So will we have a lot more East Coast racers or will you still see the top guys showing up um, from uh, the middle of the country, typically from the Colorado and California region showing up for these events. Be very interesting to see who shows up. It'll be very interesting to see how it all goes down. Um, interestingly, um, Augusta, Georgia sits at very low uh, elevation, sits at around, I think it's around 250 feet above sea level. So altitude will not play a factor into this. Um, and it is definitely not a mountainous region. It's very, very flat, rolling at best. And so uh, people are reporting that the train there is choppy and steep and technical. I don't know. I don't know much about that trail system at all, even though I only live about three, three and a half hours away. It'd be very interesting to see what happens. I do plan on doing a course recon going down there this fall to check it out. And I'll keep you guys posted of what I find out when I get down there. But I think it's going to bring a very different type of race. I think it's going to be a very fast race. Um, and definitely will not be climb heavy, um, such as the one that just occurred in Sun Valley, Idaho here recently. As far as the date goes, uh, the date will be, um, is still up in the air. They have not announced the date 
Um, the one thing um, that's interesting is is typically the mountain bike marathon national championships are held in mid to late June, usually about three weeks before the cross country championships. This year, um, they are having a test event at that venue um, for the distance, um, and it's going to be about 100K. They're having that test race on August 23rd, 24th. So it'll be interesting to see um, if that's where they're going to keep that race because it's going to be the race is actually going to be surrounded by a outdoor sports festival kind of similar to the Tiva Sports Festival or the GoPro Sports Festival. So it'll be interesting to see um, how that all works out. The event will be run by Six Speed Promotions, which is a large sports promotions company. Um, their experiences in the past have been running the X Games, running some of the Red Bull sports events. So they're definitely a big player in that um, outdoor uh, sports festival type market and so it'll be interesting to see what they what they bring to the table um, but it'll also be interesting to see when they're going to have this event whether they'll it'll, next year it'll be in august or whether it'll be in june it won't be long before they announce those dates but i'll keep you posted the first chance i get to find out when that is but anyhow thank you again for joining us um it's going to be an interesting show. I've got a bunch of race results to report on, kind of NUE heavy this week, but we also got a national championship to report on. We've got some uh, a stage race to report on, as well as some regional racing. So thank you again for joining me. Keep in touch with me, Mark at mountainbikeradio.com or through the Facebook page. Um, check out the last aid station on Facebook. Looking forward to keeping in touch with you and looking forward to continuing to provide um, all the news and race results that are going on in the world. So on to the race results. First up at the U S national mountain bike marathon championships, plenty of talent showing up, but first a review of the course this year, like last year held in sun Valley, Idaho, but with some course changes that including adding an additional loop that added not only 10 miles to the course, but it added a very steep and difficult climb. Additionally, due to the impact of lap traffic last year to the pro men's field, both the pro men and pro women elite racers raced in the afternoon, separate from the age groupers who raced in the morning. This allowed for some very clear trail system racing for those that were racing in the afternoon. The one thing that did cause some controversy was is that pro men's and women's field raced in temperatures that reached over 100 degrees, and several riders were complaining of that prior to the start. The course was made up of a start area that was a paved to gravel bike path, um, quickly going to gravel roads that were more than a little washed out, according to those who raced it. And the majority of the course, up to 75%, was made up of some very nice single track with some technical sections thrown in. In the men's race, very placid beginnings lasted only until the first climb when Josh Berry of the Smart Stop Mountain Khakis Pro Road Team attacked at the base of the climb, which set off several counterattacks and then a hard tempo that left only Stephen Ettinger Todd Wells, Howard Grotz, and Josh Berry at the front by the top of that first big climb. Howard then lost contact, recovering from that 45-minute climb with Ettinger, Wells, and Berry quickly moving ahead. 
Ettinger and Wells then dropped Barry on the ensuing descent, and at the bottom of the Mount Baldy climb, it was down to just Wells and Ettinger riding together. After that 30-minute climb, where both struggled to keep the power to the pedals on the steep and loose surface, Ettinger flatted, and Wells moved on up the trail solo. Wells ended up with a solo ride that lasted for the next two-plus hours, with Ettinger chasing but never bringing down that time difference that he lost to him on that original flat. Ettinger then flatted again in the final miles, but hung on to second, with Howard Grotz grabbing the bronze for third. Todd Wells of Specialized is your U.S. National Mountain Bike Marathon Champion. In a time of 3 hours, 51 minutes, Stephen Ettinger of BMC in second, 6 minutes down. Howard Grotz, also of the Specialized team, in the bronze medal, just another minute back. Um, and your early troublemaker, Joshua Berry of the Smart, Smart Stop Mountain Khakis team, holding on for fourth in front of a surging Alex Grant of Show Air Cannondale in fifth. In the women's race, Rose Grant of the Sportsman and Ski House gets her first national championship jersey, riding technically proficient and showing some very, very tenacious climbing in the big climber friendly course. She finished almost 15 minutes up on Joey Lithgow for silver and Nina Baum for third and the bronze medal. Uh, Rose Grant's time had a winning time of four hours. 55 minutes. Uh, in the single speed women's race, only one entrant, Tina Brubaker, takes the win and the jersey as the only rent entrant and the only one completing the course. In the single speed men's race, Carrie Smith of Rare Disease Cycling drops the gears that he normally competes on in the NUE series and takes the win over Tom Flynn of the Pro Leisure Team and A.J. Linnell of Fitzgerald Bicycles for the Bronze. Heading out to the west side of the country and then heading a little bit north at the BC Bike Race. This is the second North American mountain bike stage race of the year after the Transylvania Epic, which took place a little over a month ago taking place up there in Whistler, British Columbia. Very different field from those who attended the Transylvania Epic, with the exception to a very large contingent of Kona riders. This race has a reputation of favoring those familiar with the trails, and locals always figure into the standings across all categories. The course routes are more typical cross-country distances, with winning times on most stages of less than three hours. In the end, after seven stages of racing, it was local racer and Kona rider Chris Snedden defending his title and making it now two years in a row. Spencer Paxson riding in support of Snedden for Kona finished second overall minutes in front of Tristan Yule in third for 787 Racing, who showed a never-say-die attitude going all-in often and suffering the consequences against a very organized Kona mountain bike racing team. Wins over the week in the individual stages went to Snedden with three. Uh, Jason Sager of Backcountry Bikes with two, and Barry Wicks of Kona Racing and Tristan Yule each with one. In the women's race, a three-up race between Sonia Looney of Topeak Ergon, Wendy Sims of Kona Racing, and your current U.S. cross-country champion, Leah Davidson, uh, Davison of Specialized. 
the GC eventually came down to the last stage with Sims down by just five minutes to Davison. As expected from the gun, Sims moved off the front, building a decent gap back to the chasing women. At the finish, it wasn't enough, and the finish difference on that last stage was only two and a half minutes, meaning Davison wins the overall by just over two minutes after over 18 hours of racing. Again, your BC Bike Race champions of, of Leah Davison on your women's side and uh, Chris Snedden on the men's side racing for Kona Racing. At the Firecracker 50 for July 4th, annual tradition for the off-road community in the Colorado Mountain region. This race comprised of two 25-mile laps that has a start that leads out the Breckenridge July 4th parade in front of a very large crowd. Many racers report being quite excited about that start situation there, um, racing down through the crowds um, and out onto the course. This course includes uh, several iconic Breckenridge trail loops, including the Little French Climb, 4,000 feet of elevation, elevation gain per lap, and at a starting elevation of over 9,000 feet above sea level. In the men's pro race, on the opening lap, a large group of 12 riders separated themselves completing the first lap all within seconds of each other. But it was the second lap where that damage was done with Jamie Driscoll and Chris Baddock trading surges to pull away a midway through that lap. Peter Combs and Brian Alder kept it honest, chasing just minutes behind. As the men came down to the finish, Driscoll and Baddock were locked nose to tail with just 200 meters to go. The ensuing sprint placing Driscoll over Baddock by less than a bike length, with Baddock finishing right on Driscoll's hip after the bike throw. Raleigh Clements Driscoll wins in 3 hours 33 minutes, just 0.2 seconds over Red Ace Organics' Chris Baddock. Just a little over 4 minutes later, Honey Stinger's Chris Combs finishes in third, followed quickly by Brown, Brian Alders and Alex Pond in fourth and fifth, respectively. In the pro women's race at the Firecracker 50, it looked to be over early with Moots elite rider Kelly Boniface with a commanding lead of over five minutes at the end of lap one. But Stan Snowtube's rider Jennifer Smith showed some excellent pacing strategy caught her in the last descent of the final lap to earn the win in 4 hours, 17 minutes, and 50 seconds over Boniface, who finished just 6 seconds later. Jerry Kirkland of uh, Griggs Orthopedics finished 11 minutes later to complete your women's podium. Back on the East Coast at Trailtown, USA, Damascus, Virginia, named due to the crossroads of several famous trails there, including the Appalachian Hiking Trail, Virginia Creeper Trail, Trans-American National Bicycle Trail, and the Daniel Boone Heritage Trail. It was the Iron Mountain 100K, a legendary East Coast event held by promoter Chris Scott and his Shenandoah Mountain Touring Promotions Group. Trail conditions were more than a little bit. On the slick side, with evening rains leaving the rocky course wet overnight with little chance to dry prior to that early morning start. In the men's race, it didn't take long for things to get started as a large contingent of Western North Carolina riders pushed the pace, led by Sam Corber and David Wood on that first climb, which included some very technical rock riding. 
Several riders were close behind, led by a surging Sam Evans, riding single speed but racing in the open division, afraid to miss that Corber train that was leaving the station early. Evans quickly caught wood, but then dangled midway across to bridging to Corber. As the course profile changed to a less technical single track and to more gravel road heavy sections, Evans quickly began throwing it down on the climbs, catching and eventually gapping Corber. Evans ran scared all the way to the line, but he shouldn't have had to worry. Cisco Cy- uh, cycles Sam Evans wins in four hours, 38 minutes, breaking the course record by nearly 10 minutes and taking an 11 minute victory over Industry Nine's Sam Corber in second with Dave Wood of Liberty Bicycles another two minutes back. Sean Hall, is in fourth, Eric Schofield in fifth, completing your open men's podium. In the women's division, it was a story of two halves of the race, with Trish Stevenson trading blows with Nina Otter and winning that first half round. But as we know, the round isn't the fight, and Otter kept plugging away, eventually catching Stevens on the same gravel road climbs where the men's race standings had finally shaken out. Otter had a small gap entering the last sections of trail and extended her winning margin out to almost 10 minutes by the finish. Nina Otter of Liberty Bicycles, Warren Wilson College Cycling takes the win in 6 hours, 10 minutes with Trish Stevenson at 6 hours, 20 minutes for second, and Christine Rucker in third, completing your women's podium. In a single speed Division with Sam Evans registering for the open men's despite racing on a single speed, the overall was left wide open until Bob Moss of Raleigh, North Carolina showed up. Bob Moss, famous for his workouts and famous for his uh, gritty demeanor on the single speed, Moss stomped the course and the rest of the field by running in the top 15 all day long. Eventually, finishing the course in the 12th fastest time of the day in 5 hours, 21 minutes, winning the single speed division for his FS series team by nearly 20 minutes over Michael Coco in second and Eric Saver in third. At the Breckenridge 100, the race consisting of three separate circuits that come back to the start finish area after each one, kind of a cloverleaf type setup, Ton of elevation at the start, climbs over Wheeler Pass, make it very advantageous for those um, with the experience of living at altitude and for Colorado riders. At the start, all eyes were focused on Josh Testado, the recent 24-hour national mountain bike champion, um, as he has been on a tear this year and was also racing the Breckenridge 100 for the 10th time, including seven wins in the past and two second-place finishes never finishing worse than second. The field didn't have time to watch Tostado for long as he quickly moved off the front in the first half of circuit number one, mixing it up with pro riders racing one-third the distance and still having the fastest lap of the day on that first circuit, finishing that first circuit in two hours, 35 minutes, and a lead of over 10 minutes over his competition who is racing the full 100-mile distance. Josh's only scare came midway through lap two, where a nasty crash threw him 15 feet down a steep embankment onto some cut logs. He had plenty of time to gather himself and start the last circuit with a greater than 15-minute advantage. Tostado, riding for Swiftwick Santa Cruz, 
was content to ride conservatively on his last lap and to roll into the finish line well in front to take the win in 8 hours 46 minutes over Scott Leonard of Mountain Flyer Magazine nearly 20 minutes back and Kalen Beetle of Giant Tough Shed a further 15 minutes in arrears. In the women's pro open, just like the men's race, a completely dominating win by a rider. Elizabeth Sampy of Heights Performance Bike took the lead early and never looked back, winning by just under an hour in a time of 10 hours, 54 minutes, with Amy Nolan of Griggs Orthopedics in second and Lauren Kofelt of Los Loclos completing your women's podium. In the open single speed division of the 100-mile race, Carlos Volganot racing for Gates Carbon Drive on a single speed belt drive bicycle takes the win in 9 hours 42 minutes, just 8 minutes up on Jeffrey Carter of Willow Wheels, and Corey Hansen was a distant third. A couple other notable finishes to mention. Other races occurring that weekend also included those at the 32-mile distance and those occurring at the 68-mile distance. A couple people to mention, Mountain Bike Radio's own Ben Welnack with the win in the 32-mile uh, single-speed race in just over three hours. Brian Dillon of Griggs Orthopedics was the men's open 68-mile winner. Uh, Marley Dixon of the Mountain Bike uh, race News Epic Brewing Team was the Pro Open 68-mile race winner. Um, Charlie Hayes of Elevation Cycles um, was the single-speed 68-mile winner. In the National Ultra Endurance Series presented by Kenda at the Tatanka 100, taking place in a town made much more famous for two wheels of a different variety, but more in the tatted, leather-wearing, topless, helmetless, Riding Conaway, Sturgis, South Dakota. The race takes place on the Centennial Trail, the Deerfield Trail, and the Mickelson Rail Trail uh, across the Black Hills, continuously rolling hills that irritate both the physical and mental aspects of mountain biking. This year, riders started the race in absolutely torrential downpours at 5 a.m. in the dark in 50-degree temperatures, with intermittent heavy thunderstorms throughout the day further impacting the race. Shockingly small start numbers to a race already existing as the smallest fields in the NUE series. Only 80 riders registered for the race, only 35 towed the line on race day, and less than 25 finished the race. Race conditions placed finish times nearly two hours longer than last year, with last year's race held under very decent conditions. 50-degree temps and nasty, stiff headwinds that are, the Black Hills are famous for made conditions even more unbearable. In the men's pro race, Drew Edsel and Tinker Juarez led the pack that also contained Jerry Flug and Jim Meyer, co-founder of Quark Power Meters and your defending Tatanka 100 champion. Shortly after the start, likely partially trying to keep warm, Juarez and Edsel dropped the hammer, quickly distancing everyone. Near the first aid station, Flug and Meyer caught up to Juarez fixing a flat trailside. Meyer quickly dispatched Flug and set off to catch Edsel already with a two to three minute lead, according to race volunteers. Meyer caught Edsel, who was suffering from brake issues as the race approached the 30 to 35 mile mark then turned up the tempo to take advantage of a small gap created on a single-track descent. Juarez, back at aid number two, had worn through his brake pads just like Edsel and had called it a day. 
Shortly after, Edsel was caught and passed first by Matt Woodruff, then by Flug. Flug then passed Woodruff to put himself into second place behind a fast-rolling Jim Meyer on his home turf. At the 83-mile marker, the top five all found themselves off course in nearly the same spot while each was riding or backtracking trying to find the route. The top group in the men's field then were able to find their way back onto the course together, agreeing then to finish in uh, the positions they were in when they rode off course in a sportsmanship agreement. Taking the win at the Tonka 100 for the second straight year, SRAM Quark rider Jim Meyer over second places, Rare Disease Cycling's Jerry Flug. Third place to Pro Closet No Tubes rider Drew Edsel. Matt Woodruff and Clint Morfeld completed your men's top five. In the women's race, NUE series leader and Motor Mile Racing's Brenda Simrel staged a conservative race due to the small fields and race conditions. She brought home another win under absolutely miserable conditions, finishing just under 12 hours in 11 hours, 57 minutes, which was nearly two hours slower than her win last year on the same course. She did admit to several small crashes that did not cause any type of injury nor damage to her equipment. Behind Simmerl, it was Amy Chiachola of GAS Intrinsic Team, just 18 minutes back, which is remarkably close given the absolutely horrid race conditions. In the single-speed division, the always-fast A.J. Linnell continues his assault on the series in the single-speed division, winning in 10 hours, 5 minutes. He also came across that group that had wandered off-site um, off the course in the men's open division and began to ride back with them. However, uh, due to some issues with hypothermia, he uh, was actually gapped by them and rode in solo. Daniel Rapp was there to keep him honest. Rapp, who led initially, then passed, um, then was passed back by Linnell, chased Linnell all the way. Um, Linnell admitted to some moderate hypothermia at the last aid station, borrowing trash bags to keep the wind and rain off in those final miles. He, like most, also experienced severe brake pad issues in the muddy and wet conditions. Linnell rode very conservative to the finish, passed by a few single gear riders, but holding off Toasted Head's wrap, who finished about 25 minutes down. A further 25 minutes later, Trevor Rockwell, the early NUE single-speed season leader, riding for NOAA Foundation and Twin Six, finished in third. In your Masters 50-plus division, Jerry, Gary Gardner of the Bountiful Bikes team handled the conditions far better than its competitors, finishing in 10 hours, 42 minutes, with his nearest competitors in well over two hours down, in the form of David Grauer in second, and Jeff Johnston in third. Continuing on in your Kenda National Ultra Endurance Series, High Cascades 100, presented by Hammer Nutrition. This is the sixth annual race this year, held in the areas around the Mount Bachelor Ski Area outside of Bend, Oregon. It's a growing mountain bike mecca that has promoters and race directors with lots of choices for great courses due to seemingly endless trails and climbs to choose from. Despite the growing use of bike and rider-mounted cameras, no Sasquatches were captured on film this year, despite a course that indeed went remote into the Cascade Mountain Ranges with over 10,000 feet of climbing 
in those 100 miles. A new record of nearly a 95% finish rate narrated the perfect weather and great course and trail conditions. The race had indeed a very early start, though, 5.30 a.m. start. In the women's race, Amanda Carey, who dominated the series in 2010 and 2011 as the series champs in those years, returned to the NUE at this race after taking a few years to concentrate more on the more traditional XC events in 2012 and 2013 for the Live Giant Mountain Bike Elite Team. Carey jumped right back into it where she left off with a dominating win, mixing in among the front parts of the men's open pack to put time into her competitors that was never recovered. Behind her, Sue Butler and Eric Crumpleman were in a close battle for second place um, as they took out onto the course with time gaps staying tight throughout, especially as the later aid stations were reporting. In the end, though, it was Amanda Carey of Live Giant with a 9-hour, 57-second win and plenty of time to celebrate with a nearly 18-minute gap back to second place Sue Butler of the River City Bicycles team who outran Erica Crumpleman of Team REP by four minutes, completing your top three. Also stepping onto the women's podium was Carolyn Dodge of Ten Barrel Racing in fourth and Muffy Ritz in fifth. In the open men's, a large group of men look like a Tour de France peloton rolling together out the initial 10 miles of mixed paved and gravel roads before quickly shattering on the opening smaller climbs and rolling double track on the way out to aid stage number one. Jerry flew throwing in an attack um, that had him leading solo through those opening miles out to aid number one. By the time the riders had reached that feed zone, though, a fast-moving group of six had separated themselves from the front and hit the aid station together with a decent gap. That group contained Carrie Smith, Tinker Juarez, Brett Nichols, Josh Oppenheimer, uh, Jatarabun uh, Kangchai Paifana, and Jerry Fluke. Uh, that's a mouthful, honestly. Um, Almost immediately after aid number one, Juarez upped the tempo that quickly gapped the others and also managed to unseat Nichols from the chasers as they tried to keep uh, Juarez's gap manageable and close. Approaching the halfway point, the immediately behind, Juarez had dropped to just two working together. Uh, Kangchai Pai Fana and Smith uh, working together to keep Juarez uh, in their sights. Smith was able to drop the tie rider as the race hit the higher elevations. Then Smith caught Juarez after Juarez had stopped for a bike adjustment. According to Kerry Smith, the two rode together for about 10 minutes before he was able to break the elastic through the Happy Valley section of the course, which includes a mixed bag of terrain and conditions, including some very deep snow conditions still on the north-facing slopes. After leaving aid number four with a little over 30 miles to go, Kerry could see a lone chaser about a minute or so back that appeared to be closing and rode aggressively and without error in the last portions to keep who he thought was Juarez at bay behind him. Kerry Smith of Hub Cyclery takes the win in seven hours, 29 minutes, with a surprisingly resurgent Brett Nichols, who was originally dropped in the opening miles just a minute later. Third was show air Cannondale's uh, rider Tinker Juarez, who admitted to again having eye issues that has plagued him 
through several races of the season with blurry vision due to dusty conditions. Clint Merfeld was fourth in seven hours, 47 minutes, and fifth was Josh Oppenheimer in 7.49. In the Masters 50-plus, there was no question as to who the fastest rider was in the category. Greg Goulet of Team Chico completely dominated the race, staying near the front of all the riders in the top 20 or so, and placing a commanding victory in 8 hours, 10 minutes, over 25 minutes back to second place's Wayne Tonning, and nearly 40 minutes back to Gary Gardner in third. Tim Phillips and Jeff Cummings completed your Masters Top 5 podium. In the single speed division, right from the start, all single speeders were keeping track of each other, all eyeing each other warily. With that lead group of A.J. Linnell, Mark Schaefer, Ernesto Marinchin, Ben Shackley, and Jace Ives, all riding almost as a pack together. Linnell and Shackley quickly pushed the pace in those opening miles, and Jace Ives admitted to questioning his gearing as he watched the two of them pull away on those softer, sandy opening miles. Ives continued on at his own pace, eventually increasing his tempo near the midpoint of the race at aid station number three, catching Shackley, then dispatching him on some of the shorter, steeper sections about 10 miles later. Shortly after, Ives caught Linnell in the higher elevation sections with snow remaining on those north-facing slope trails. At the finish, it was Bear Creek Bicycles, Jace Ives with the win in eight hours, one minute, two seconds with A.J. Linnell of... Fitzgerald bicycles just six minutes back. Ben Shackley holds on to third in eight hours, 14 minutes and change. Ernesto Marinchin of Pivot Cycles and local rider Trinity Bikes, uh, John Conway, completed your single speed podium for this year's High Cascades 100. So that's just about going to wrap up this episode of The Last Aid Station. Thank you very much for joining us uh, again. Um, I hope I'm satisfying your needs for getting the news out to you, uh, finding out how those races were won, finding out who's making the moves, who's the mover and shakers out there, and um, getting the news out to you of stuff that's coming up um, in the near future. Keep in touch with me. Keep, let that information continue to come in. Um, send that emails to me, mark at mountainbikeradio.com. You can send stuff to Ben at mountainbikeradio.com if it doesn't really fit in the last aid station. Um let me know who you want me to see, who you want me to interview, who you want me to have on, what races you want me to cover. That stuff is invaluable. And a lot of the races that I am covering come directly from you guys telling me, you need to follow this race or you need to follow that race. Um, looking forward to doing more of these shows in the very near future. We still got, heck, we still got a, a, at least another two months of endurance mountain bike season going on. Um, the, uh, the NUE series runs all the way through the mid to end of September. So lots of stuff going on as far as the NUE races go. I know I'm planning on racing all the way through October, um, in 100 miles and 100K. So there's, they're out there. All those races are out there and we will be bringing those to you. Um, additionally, um, if you guys are really into, um, the podcast and these are things, make sure you check out some of the other podcasts. I don't think that you guys are out there just listening to my podcast. Um, I hope not, because, man, Mountain Bike Radio has got some great podcasts on it. Whether you're into the Just Riding Along guys, um, which is a very entertaining group, but it also has a ton of information. Um, those guys are a great, great resource 
Um, if you're in the if you're in the market for 650B versus 29er, or you're looking at carbon wheels, those guys, if you look back into their past uh, shows, somewhere along the way, they have probably discussed it. And they give you the pros and the cons and controversies and arguments, and they'll argue among each other, but you get the good information out there. There's plenty of entertaining stuff too. Uh, the the cycling in Swedish Lapland is a great podcast out there. It's cool to f- come across guys that are racing uh, or riding in uh, Sweden up near the Arctic Circle. They're pro- English isn't even their primary language, but it's cool to meet people across the globe on the other side of the world that are just in, as into mountain biking as the rest of us are. And it's really cool to hear their perspectives on things. But their love of bikes shows through. There's no doubt about that. Um, a couple other things. Um, there's plenty of other resources on there. Um, Ben's actually been putting a ton of uh, resources if you're into the training side of things or nutrition or mental training. There's been a ton of podcasts recently on those topics. And so make sure you check those out and see what else is, is out there. Um, and entertaining stuff. There's uh, the Big Livers podcast, for example. Those guys go out and they try three or four craft beers, let you know what they think of it. They're mountain bikers. They're riders at heart, just like the rest of us. Uh, maybe not uh, as pure uh, racers go, but those guys love mountain biking and it really shows through in their podcast. And they love drinking beer. And they're going to tell you what what are the good craft beers out there. Um, very entertaining group. And generally those podcasts are relatively short, um, but always good to, uh, for the commute or when you're sitting at your desk, um, getting some work done, you can have that run in the background. It's always an interesting conversation with those guys. So, um, regarding conversations, Ben, um, Wellnack, who is the guy that keeps all of us idiots in check here at Mountain Bike Radio. Um, recently got a chance to do an interview with Josh Tostado, kind of as a follow-up to the interview that I did with him on my last podcast. It's a shorter interview, uh, but it's a very interesting interview immediately following his win at the Breckenridge 100. Of course, you know, this was Josh's 10th time racing that event. He's never finished worse than second. Won it more than, more than finished second, obviously. Um, tons and tons of and he is really coming into his form this year um, regarding uh, his wins. And he's really putting out some impressive, impressive performances on the trails this year. But that interview is going to be out there. I think it'll be under the last aid station heading. So if you're um, looking for it, it should be out there probably before this even goes onto the onto the website. Um, if not, I'm sure Ben will uh, let you know. It'll probably be under an Inside Mountain Biking podcast. But... Anyhow, that's going to be out there. So that's going to be some interesting stuff. Um, planning tons of stuff coming up on the last aid station here. We're looking forward to planning some uh, really cool features for you guys in the coming months um, as we start to wind into the second half of the season. And again, thank you very much for tuning in. Thanks for staying in touch. Look forward to bringing you a lot more stuff in the very, very, very near future. And um, again, if you see me at a race, if you see me at an event, feel free to come up and talk. I love talking about this stuff, whether it's stuff that's directly related to um, racing and things like that, or it could be mountain biking in general or heck anything in general, but I'd love to meet you guys. Come up and talk to me um, at the events. I try to keep you posted as to where I'm going to be and when I'm going to be there, but thank you very much. Um, Again, my name is Mark. This has been the last aid station on mountain bike radio, and I'll see you guys on the trails.